0: I
1: never
2: got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark, no belief— No debunking, uh, no chance that you're going to agree with my choices, probably. This is Encounter 65, Contactee, Mount Rushmore. Okay, this is a lighter weight episode than the last few, a little shorter, a little breezier, but we've covered enough contactees that I I thought it was a good time to stop and take a breath and rank them, or at least four of them, And, and not exactly rank them, but to do the stereotypical Mount Rushmore of whatever a thing is thing and try to figure out which four we would put on our Mount Rushmore of contactees if such a thing existed. Now there are going to be some ground rules for how I determined this and here they are. First, I only chose from contactees that we've covered on the show because that way no one's left out. And if you're unfamiliar with any of the choices, you can go back and check out our more in-depth takes on them in the archive. So if you're hoping that Dan Fry, the Mitchell sisters, or Dino Craspadon are here, sorry. Um, maybe when we do contactee Mount Rushmore part two at some point. Okay, second rule. These aren't necessarily my favorite contactees. In fact, my favorite contactees would be quite a bit different than what you're going to hear in a minute or two. But I wanted to come up with four figures for whom I could explain some significance in some way. Third, no, you probably won't agree. And that's okay. You'll get a chance to have your say, and I'll explain how at the end of the episode. Fourth, not so much a rule as a question Where should we carve these faces? I mean, Mount Rushmore is already pretty much full, so we've gotta find some place to put the giant contactee heads. I would humbly suggest that we hire somebody to put these four faces in one of two locations. The first one, if we could get these people carved into Mount Palomar, site of George Adamski's telescope and hamburger stand, that would be great, maybe ideal. If that's not possible, I think, given its prevalence in the New age side of ufology, I'd be perfectly fine with four giant contactee heads gracing Mount Shasta, as long as it wouldn't compromise the structural integrity of the saucer base located underneath the mountain. Okay, let's uh, let's start with uh, with contact D number one. First up, and this should be no surprise. I kind of telegraphed it with the Mount Palomar comment. Um, George Adamski, no no shock there. And, and even though these aren't ranked in any way, I, I think if they were ranked, we'd have to put uh, George Adamski in sort of the George Washington position on Mount Rushmore. Now, on the show here, we've covered Adamski in a couple of different ways. First, way back in our fifth episode, Encounter 105, back in October of 2017, we introduced him, and, and then in January of 2018, Encounter 304, we revisited sort of in, in more depth the debunking of his, uh, of his saucer photos. So those two episodes are there in the archives if you would like to uh, take a listen to those. So, why Adamski? Because, while he might not have been the first human being who claimed to have had contact with otherworldly beings, because basically every revealed religion beat him to it, Adamski's writings and methods of promotion set a pattern for nearly every contactee that would come afterward, unless they channeled messages from aliens through telepathy or something. That's an important distinction. Let's break down what Adamski accomplished. He integrated these new exciting flying saucers that everybody started seeing in 1947 or everybody believed they saw in 1947 or everybody lied about seeing in 1947, you know, delete as appropriate. He integrated them into a pre-existing philosophical framework, going all the way back to his days running the Royal Order of Tibet and and his discussions of cosmic philosophy and the essays he wrote back in the 1930s. He test-drove his contactee ideas via science fiction with his novel Pioneers of Space, which basically reads like a rough draft of uh, Inside the Spaceships in a lot of ways. There are a lot of ideas in Adamski's speeches and writings that would become commonplace in contactee stories. Earth being less morally and technologically advanced than other worlds, the solar system being inhabited with, with different civilizations on each of the planets, the ability of humans to improve themselves, the potential for humans to improve themselves, to avoid atomic annihilation, to solve problems of, of, of poverty and inequality. All of these things really, in a way, begin with Adamski. Were there others who mentioned these same basic ideas in, in the broader spiritualist traditions that were out there and that, that predated Adamski? Yes, of course. But I think it was Adamski's tales that provided a template for contactees, specifically UFO contactees, that they could follow going forward, You know, coming, coming behind Adamski. Adamski also paved the way for contactees and other flying saucer figures to go on sort of expansive speaking tours, to write books and articles, and in short, Adamski was one of the pioneers—not of space, but of ufological self-promotion. And Adamski's activities—and—and and I, I don't want to dignify it necessarily by saying business model—but but his his business model served as a template for. A way that saucer contactees could make a halfway decent living off of telling the tales of their flying saucer contacts and over time this this model would extend to to all of ufology in a way um you you know what's coming next i i don't really have to warn you but uh here it is
3: ufo might just as well stand for unprecedented financial opportunity
2: that is the only time you will hear uh, Ms. Pauly in today's episode, and I felt there was no better place for it than uh, than with George Adamski here. Um, as, as long as we're talking about contactees. In the wider world of ufology, uh, there were better moneymakers than Adamsky, but he paved the way. Plus, and, and I can't really overstate this. His flying saucer photographs have become almost a visual shorthand, not only for the classic flying saucer sort of silhouette or profile, but also for the ridiculous nature of hoaxed flying saucer photographs. Um, they, the, the Adamski saucer shows up everywhere. In short, without Adamski, would there have been a contactee strand of ufology that we would recognize in any way? I don't think that there would be now. Whether or not you think ufology would be improved or would have been improved without the Adamski-style contactee uh, motif in it is is really a matter of of personal taste. But um, I think it would be uh, it would be diminished without Adamski's role and and setting a pattern like that. Here's a clip of uh, Adamski speaking in 1953, very early in his contactee career, discussing um, the use of language among the space brethren and and why they, they don't speak in the first book, but suddenly he's talking to all of them in his second book. But in general, I would say since the first
1: contact, I have learned later that these people do talk any and every language. It doesn't make no difference which one. First, they can tune in on our radios and learn that way. Second, they're so far advanced that they know the language from reading your thoughts in that way. And uh, on a second contact I had made with the same individual from uh, Venus, he uh, started talking English, and that sort of surprised me. And I asked him, why didn't he talk to me English in the first place? Well, this was his answer. He said, the reason why I didn't talk with you in English in the first place you to know how it feels when I focus my thoughts upon you,
2: they listened to the radio might be one of the the simplest but best explanations for why these uh these aliens can speak our language they, they they learned it between their first and second visit but also they wanted to make sure he knew that they could communicate with their minds it makes a lot of sense okay so that's adamski uh let's go to spot number two We covered him in encounter 60 uh, in July of 2019. It's George King. If one of the criteria for this Mount uh, Mount Shasta, Mount Palomar, Mount Rushmore of contactees is longevity, then King uh, would, would probably rank in first place in a way, because the Aetherius Society, the religious order he established and which is based on the knowledge and information he claimed to have gained from his uh, ET contact experiences, the Aetherius Society thrives to this very day. In fact, if you follow them on Instagram or, or YouTube, you'll get um, weekly, if not daily doses, of wisdom uh, both from beyond and within now there are organizations related to contactees that have survived for long periods of time the george Adamski foundation for example is is still in operation insisting that their website watermark be present before they'll give permission for their photos to be used in historical examinations of contactee culture he said not at all Bitterly, but it's not like there are chapters of the GAF in cities and towns around the world, like there are with Aetherius. I can't go, as, as far as I know, uh, down the road a piece and get involved with a GAF authorized Cosmic Philosophy Study Group. If I'm wrong about this, uh, let me know. Unless we forget, King's encounter stories also gave us, probably the only actual sort of ray gun battle, outer space space opera stuff. In the whole of contacteeism. Even without the longevity and significance of the Aetherius Society, I'd be tempted to put him on here just for that. And another thing, he's English, which gets him out of the pigeonhole of this style of contactees being overly American. I acknowledge, however, that he did eventually move to the to the U.S., uh, California, no less, sort of um, keeping the tradition of Californians named George uh, alive. And uh, I, I think just to be as contactee-ish as possible, L.A. Is a, is a good place for the contactees. If you haven't listened to our George King episode, check it out. And I, I think you'll agree he belongs on our uh, Mounts, Shasta, Palomar, and Rushmore. Here's George King in 1960 explaining about the satellites the space people have put in orbit of earth i thought the third one that he discusses in this brief clip sounds you know not at all ominous or intrusive
0: the third satellite though is a large object which was originally built on mars i don't know when is manned by <clears throat> advanced metaphysicians mainly from the planet mars the it's under the control strict control of a person who is living on the planet mars which is a very friendly planet and <clears throat> this satellite varies its orbit it is not always in orbit of this earth sometimes it is out of orbit, and other times it is in orbit. It has a very, very definite function to perform. The function is this. As I said last night, the space people can see this world as a world which needs very, very great help. Now, their hands are tied to a certain extent. There is a law, a basic law which governs all things, and that law makes this statement. And whether we like it or not makes no difference. The law still makes this statement, despite our petty likes and our petty dislikes. statement is this. Action and reaction are opposite and equal. In other words, it is the law of karma. Jesus referred to it in a brilliant way when he said, As you sow, so shall you reap. If you cast mildewed bread upon the waters, in many days mildewed bread will be returned to you. I'm not good bread. This, whether we like it or not.
2: Satellite number three is up there. And they are watching. Um, I'm not at all creeped out by that. All right, that's half of Mount Rushmore, Palomar, um, Shasta taken care of. We'll return for the uh, the rest of it in a second or two. So for our next episode, it's uh, it's back to a longer, uh, more complex story. Um, this this episode here is is relatively brief, and uh, and sort of you know, not very challenging in a way. Um, because next time is, is going to be, uh, something I've wanted to to do for a while. It's a topic I've wanted to do for a while, almost since the beginning, but it's very daunting. Uh, it's not Roswell. Um, it's North and slightly West of there up, uh, up Seattle way. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. People who are in the know. Tune in next time, unless I uh, unless I check it out and panic and, and don't do it. Uh, tune in next time for the Maury Island story, complete with uh, saucer debris, mysterious deaths, uh, some uh, retconning of the Men in Black uh, mythos, and a man involved with it all that ties this UFO story in with the Richard Shaver Hollow Earth Tales and, and even possibly uh, JFK assassination conspiracy research. I'm short of breath and my vision's going fuzzy just thinking about how I'm going to put this together in a a structured, cohesive way. So um, enjoy me having some kind of episode over here as I prepare this episode. In the meantime, you can check out past uh, episodes, read some reviews of saucer-related stuff, and support the show with your love offerings at saucerlife.com. And thank you to those of you who have. And continue to do so. You may follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life or email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com and you can subscribe to the show uh, wherever you find podcasts including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and so on. Now, back to whichever mountain you want to call it. Just to break things up a little bit, we're uh, next going to induct someone onto contactee Mount fill-in-the-blank who is not named George, and who, like George King, hails from somewhere other than the United States. We covered Elizabeth Clarer way back in uh, Encounter 202 in October of 2017, and while that episode I believe provides some great information about the geopolitical and sociopolitical context of Clarer's claims especially as presented in her 1970s memoir as opposed to her much more run-of-the-mill 1950s account. The, the portion of her memoir that uh, pretty much guarantees her place among this contacty tetrarchy is the following.
1: He kissed me with a long and lingering kiss on the lips, picking me up in his arms he carried me to the silken platform its firm softness supported our bodies with luxurious comfort as i gave myself to the man from outer space as our bodies became one the fusion of the electric essence of life was attained and the ensuing ecstasy and balance of electrical forces transcended all things experienced in life how beautiful is nature's plan to mate in love and harmony The joy of the soul, spirit, and body, the three-in-one transcended into timelessness. We lived for one another in the consummation of the soul within the rapturous ecstasy of fulfilled love.
2: With Clara and her memoir Beyond the Light Barrier, we have a flying saucer romance that is much more straightforward, and, at least for me, easier to understand than some of the others we may have encountered over the last couple years, like Howard and Connie Menger's convoluted reincarnation based um, stuff. So, another thing, and I might be stretching a point here, but with the birth of Elizabeth's child by Akon, you know, the man from space, we not only have a culmination or consequence of the romance, but if we want to go down this road, and I'm not sure we do, but we're already halfway there, so why not? we've got alien-human hybridization going on. Um, and there's a nice blend here uh, of strands of contacteism mixed with strands of of other stuff like this hybridization that would become incredibly overbearingly prominent in decades to come. Clara was talking about hubrids when David Jacobs was still writing straightforward histories of the UFO phenomenon. And honestly, I, I think gave us a better, more uplifting story uh, to boot. Clara's Space Pals, if you'll recall, warned of a coming race war, of violence and cataclysm. And Beyond the Light Barrier was more than a contact ebook; It was a reminiscence of colonial life. And I was going to leave you with some audio of Clara that has come to the internet in the years since our initial episode, but she speaks so slowly and uninterestingly that I just couldn't do that to you. You're welcome. One last one, number four in our lineup, and I'm sorry about this, but it's another man from California named George. We first covered George Van Tassel as part of Encounter 302 back in December of 2017. Now I say part of because that episode primarily dealt with the wider phenomenon of Ashtar a being in command of a ginormous space fleet surrounding the planet Earth, protecting us from harm. Ventassaril was the originator of the Ashtar channelings and established most of the structure and characters that would characterize the myriad Ashtar channelings that would come after Georgie V himself passed away from the scene. Ufology would be uh, much poorer without the unabashed hero worship of a channeler like Tuella in her book's Ashtar Attribute, or a project world evacuation? Yes, shut up! It would be much poorer without those things. I love Tuella, although Ashtar and his cosmic crew would survive into into the present day. If you Google Ashtar, you will get dozens, if not hundreds, of people who are all claiming to be channeling Ashtar and all have the real message of Ashtar lost something after the 1980s when when Tuella was gone and Ventassel was significant for something else besides um besides the the ashtar channeling he was one of the more prominent channelers so he sort of popularized that form of communication much more so I think than than George Hunt Williamson did but he developed the integratron he was into free energy research he promoted the UFO festival, the flying saucer festival convention, whatever you want to call it at giant rock. And in doing so created one of the most long lasting and significant venues for flying saucer culture in the 1950s and sixties. George Van Tassel was, um, pretty incredible and, and multifaceted in the way he dealt with the UFO, uh, the UFO phenomenon, the way he interacted and contributed to the culture. Here's George Van Tassel in 1956 speaking to the Rotary Club of Yukaipa, California. He's talking about how thanks to warnings from the space people, he was able to notify Washington D.C. in advance about things like the 1952 Capitol Hill flying saucer flyover event.
3: Our astronomers have made these commitments in the past that there is no life on other planets. This is the beginning of everything. I wonder how these little minds can conceive of God when they confine him to one speck of dust in the universe. This thing has reached a state now where we have a few motion pictures coming out. I don't know how many of you (laughs) have seen this picture UFO. Actual color motion pictures of 14 ships in formation taken by a Navy man. The film has been analyzed by every technical laboratory in the military and stated flatly that it's not been tampered with or faked. There are two actual shots of flying saucers in that picture, plus data pertaining to the saucer buzz over Washington in 52, which we notified Washington was going to happen five days before it occurred. By registered letter, we told them this, this was going to happen because these people told us they were going to do it and told us to, to send the information to Washington. It takes a lot of nerve to stick your neck out far enough to tell Washington that spaceships are going to buzz the capital. Nevertheless, the information they had given us for three years had proved accurate in every case, and we stuck our neck out far enough to tell Washington spaceships were going to buzz Washington. And they did buzz Washington.
2: Interestingly, or not, the Ukaipa Rotary Club started up in 1956, which means that the Van that Van Tassel, the Van Tassel, that the Van Tassel was one of their very first meeting speakers, and and probably was was why they were going with UFO contactees uh, rather than any of the usual people that Rotary clubs get in to speak. Um, The Ukipa Rotary Club is still in existence, still active, and has the worst website I've seen since 1999 or so. So that was my um, Mount Rushmore of contactees. I'd like some feedback from you as to who you would put on there. So on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, whatever. I'd like you to give me one, just one, contactee that you think belongs. It can be one of the same ones that I picked or somebody uh, somebody different. Um, you don't have to confine it to, uh, to contactees we talked about in the show, but uh, that might be a little more of a, a straight-up comparison. I'll collect whatever people come up with, if people come up with anything, and assemble a reader's choice, Mount Rushmore, to compare to mine. Come on. It'll, it'll be fun. The clip from Encounter 202 featured Roberta Evangeline Straith as the voice of Elizabeth Clara. The associate producer of The Saucer Life is Simpson J. Hanover III. The Saucer Life is a production of Media LLC. Chizomedia, working for the good of mankind along the lines of truth. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because that one Martian satellite is watching you.